All right. Hey, we're going to be back in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And so we were there a little bit, the first part of 16, last week. I've entitled the message Joy this morning. So Acts is all about kind of the key verse. There's Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you should have that memorized by now, right? Right? Just you hear it so much, you're probably thinking about it in your sleep, all right? All right, but we see the church in motion, and we see the church go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now we're seeing the gospel go to the other parts of the world, right? So now Paul is out in uncharted territory. There is Jewish influence there, but a lot of these people haven't heard of Christ, and so they're taking the gospel there. So last week we talked about what do you do when God closes a door? Not just one door, but two doors. What do you do? So we talked about, uh, we talked about how Paul navigated that. All right, and then um, they get to Troas. So that's where we're going to pick it up. And uh, I think we will start in verse 8 is where I'd like to pick up there. So verse 8 is where we'll pick up. But before we do this, pray, and then we'll jump in together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is able to guide and direct us, Lord God, and from it we can learn principles that help guide our life, and we can learn from people like Paul that um, lived a full life and gave it all to you, Lord, and how they navigated the ups and downs, how they were able to do it with joy, Um, and so, Lord God, we give you the thanks, ask it in your name, amen. All right, so verses 6 through 7, Paul is it begins to what we would call their second missionary journey. If you go to the back of your, if you have a paper Bible, right, a hard copy, usually there's a map of Paul's missionary journeys there, and they're different color-coded, so you know which one is the first, second, and, and things like that. So this would be qualified as a second missionary journey. Um, Paul takes Silas because him and Barnabas are disagreeing. They're disagreeing over taking John Mark with them. And we did that message on John Mark. He deserted them on the first missionary journey. And Paul says he's not going on the second one, all right? Um, He doesn't have what it takes. Now, we know that John Mark ended up being a very helpful um, person in the ministry. They somehow get reconciled and, um, and all that. But at this point, Paul takes Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark. They go to Cyprus. Um, Paul and Silas then go up through some of the other churches, Lystra and Derby, uh, the churches that they'd been started on their first uh, trip. Victor, you can you can bump that up a little bit if it's too cool. You bump up. Is it too cool over there, or is it just right? They say it's just right, Victor. All right, you better just leave it then. <laughs> you can tell Victor's from Costa Rica, right? All right. He likes it hot. So they, they head off on this uh, second missionary journey. Paul and Silas go through some of these towns that they'd started on the first missionary journey, Lystra Derby. It was in Lystra that he would be stoned left for dead. And then verse 6, uh, they go through Fergia. Man, I had, to go, I had to listen to that on my Bible app. That's a tough word to pronounce, Fergia. All right, everybody say it together, Fergia. There you go. And Galatia. 
having kept by the Holy Spirit, preaching the word in the province of Asia. So God closed that door. And then they went to the border of Myasia and Bithynia. God closes that door. So verse 8, here we go. So they passed by Myasia and they went down to Troas. So Troas was kind of a port town, Mediterranean Sea. During the night, Paul has this vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging them, him to come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. There's another good one, Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Nepalus, and we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So there's a little bit of history of Philippi. I don't know if you guys are like history nuts or anything, but... um, Julius Caesar was assassinated, right? And who were the two people that killed him? Come on, you have to help me out. Brutus, right? You two Brutus, right? And Cassius. So they fled to Philippi supposedly, and the Romans caught him up there. And uh, anyway, it becomes a Roman, main Roman city. It's named after a man named King Philip, uh, emperor. All right, um... Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, and we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to women who had gathered there. One of the women listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. How many like purple? Anne's wearing purple today, I think, right? Purple. So purple, with that, purple dye was very expensive, very costly, and so that meant that she probably, we infer that she probably was a wealthy woman. She had her own place that we're going to see that they could stay at. And she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, and she and the members of her household were baptized. So they're at the river there. Um, They hear the message, and they're baptized. Sometimes I think people think, I have to go through all this training before I'm baptized. But we see that the minute people accept Christ is often when baptism happens within Scripture. All right? If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, so they're still in Philippi, we met a female slave who had a spirit which she predicted the future. So slavery in different forms was common during biblical times. Um, especially in the Roman Empire and other places. And she learned a gr- earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune-telling. So the, her owners had her, and she would do this fortune-telling. Obviously, it, it must have worked because people were willing to pay money for it. Of course, people do that today, and I don't think it works. But all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> And the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. So this lady is kind of going around. You would think that would be a good thing, but it kind of got on Paul's nerves, all right? She kept this up for many days. It became a nuisance. And finally, Paul became annoyed, that, so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Good thing, right? When her owners realized that her hope Their hope of making money from her was gone. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace, okay, to face the authorities. I don't know if they had a rule, you know, what do you, a rule? You you cast the demon out of my, our servant, and now, you know, 
Anyway, they're disrupting things. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans to accept and practice. We don't know know exactly what that was all about, um, but they felt like it was interfering with their way of life. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Okay, and some countries still do that today, don't they? Um, Yeah. And then beyond that, after they'd been severe, they'd done that, then they were severely flogged, verse 23. And they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. I mean, they really see these guys as a high-security threat, you know, Paul and Silas. They're not armed with automatic weapons, all right, or swords, but they're told to keep a careful watch on them. In fact, verse 24, they received orders, and they put them in the inner cell. So that is probably the most secure place in the jail, the inner cell, hardest to get out of. Maybe there's some humor there that God has in mind, right? Put them in the inner cell and fasten their feet with stocks. So there's there's no way they can go, all right? And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Did we just jump to another story, right? Really think about that. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, they were a captive audience, right? Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. So it was more than just an earthquake. The chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He was going to do what would happen to him anyway if... If people escaped, it would be his life. Most likely, he was retired from the military. This was his plan to get him through until he was fully retired. All right? But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Kind of get that in your mind there. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, maybe he heard their testimony. Maybe he heard them singing. He goes, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all to the brothers in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. So we don't know, it was midnight that the earthquake takes place. So maybe two, three o'clock at night. Paul is doing discipleship classes. The jailer washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptized. Middle of the night. There you go. I haven't done one of those before. I've done one in October, but never one in the middle of the night. All right. The jailer brought them out into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with what? Joy. So we're going to talk about joy this morning. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their official officers to the jailer with the order to release those men. The jailer told Paul. So they just kind of wanted to teach Paul and Silas a lesson. lesson. The magistrates have them ordered that you and Silas have been released. You can, you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, hey, they, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And it's about like that. About at that moment, everybody just kind of got a lump in their throat, real, realizing, hey, these people were Roman citizens, which they were re- 
it was required then that they would have a public and a fair trial. Kind of like in the United States, right? Even though there were Roman citizens, but you threw us in prison and now they want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. You know, so Paul has a little bit of, uh, he, you know, he's he sense of humor, but also <laughs> he has a little bit of vengeance there, a little bit of like, okay, the officers reported this to the magistrates. Then they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting that they leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, were met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. They went on to the next town. So what can we learn about joy in this passage? I want us to look at, there's, I mean, you could approach this passage from a lot of different ways, but I want us to look at the topic, the virtue of joy. And so the first thing that I see here is kind of where we ended here in verse 34 is that joy flows from a heart that is touched by God. You know, we don't know a lot about the jailer, but very likely most of the jailers, they say, just going back and historically, often were former military. So, you know, was he a joyous and happy man? We don't know. We don't know. We're not given that information, right? What we do know is that in the middle of the night, okay, and I'm usually not real happy in the middle of the night. I mean, if I get woke up, right? I, not that I'm grumpy, but, you know. Um, but I don't know if I'd call myself happy and joyous. But in the middle of the night, uh, he ex him and the whole family, you know, so the, everybody's woke up, right? Um, and maybe some of the people even in the jail were baptized. We're not given that information here. But we know that the man and his whole household hear the message, they accept Christ, and they are baptized in water. And it says in verse 34 that they were filled with joy because of what God had done in their life. You know, um, joy flows from a heart that is touched by God. Nobody has to tell you to be joyous, to be happy. But it comes from knowing that the weight of our sins has been lifted. We have peace with God. We have the hope of heaven. It's a fruit of the Spirit as well. But how many remember the, the day you made that commitment to accept Christ into your life? Yeah. Was there joy there? Was there joy there? I know it was for me. I was eight, five years old, family camp. I, re I remember that service very vividly. I remember I got back that night, and there was just a joy there that I couldn't explain that was in my heart uh, and in my life. And joy flows from when we have that experience with God our sins are forgiven, and our life has been touched by Him. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures in your right hand. If you kind of do a search on it in the NIV, um, joy is mentioned 57 times in the book of Psalms. It's quite a few. Joy flows from a heart that is touched by God. But if that's true, if that's true, why does it seem that some Christians have been baptized in lemon juice? Yeah. You ever seen a grumpy Christian? I see them quite a bit. Not saying that they're ever here at Radiant Springs Church, but I see grumpy people. I see sad people. It's like they've been sucking on lemons, right? Their faces. Okay, they're all puckered up, right? 
Why is that? If joy flows from a heart that has been touched by God, why as Christians can we sometimes be the saddest people in the world? You know, that's really contagious. People really want to follow Christ when they see that in your life, right? Right? (laughs) No, what is contagious is that they see the joy and the happiness of God. So while joy may be an immediate result of a heart that has been touched by God, the continual joy is based upon that relationship with God and our worship of Him. So that goes to the second principle we see, is that worship releases joy within our lives. Worship releases joy within our lives. So that kind of goes back to verse 25 there, where Paul and Silas, they've been beaten with rods and flogged. So if there's anything that's going to put you in the spirit of worship and praise and joy, it's that, right? Right? No. I mean, they should have been in there. They should have been licking their wounds. They should have been upset. They should have uh, been kicking. Their feet were in stocks. They couldn't kick anything. They were probably pounding the walls. God, why did you put me here? I thought you called me, God. This wasn't in the job description, right? But there they were. They were worshiping God. So Paul's not a rookie at this point. He, he has the first missionary journey. He's walked with God probably 15 years, 12 to 15 years by this point. But he has learned that in good times and bad times to have an attitude of praise, of worship, of thankfulness, that attitude of gratitude. And as they begin to worship God that night, I, I sense that there was a joy and a happiness in their heart, even though their backs were writhing in pain, right? Even though everything within them was painful, their praise and the worship of God flowed from their heart. The other, ja- the other prisoners heard it, the jailer and all the guards heard it. Um, But what I know is that as we worship the Lord, whether because we're in a worship service, a prayer time, or devotional time at church, sometimes worship kind of comes kind of naturally, right? And we have that. But there's other times that worship and praise is a choice. Thankfulness is a choice. I remember early on in in, in ministry that I was reading a devotional just talked about thankfulness. And I remember reading through that and It's kind of like thankfulness is a choice. It's kind of like, hmm. And I've learned that, that as you are thankful and you thank God for the things that are right in your life, it begins to make that happiness and joy within our lives. And there is a difference between joy and happiness, right? Happiness really is based upon the happenings in life, okay? The happenings in life can be like this, right? So if that's where your joy and happiness come from, it's going to be up and down, right? Joy is more of a continual spring that comes out of our heart and our life through the Holy Spirit and our relationship with Him. You know, the psalmist says, I will praise the Lord. You, you, you look up that term in the Psalms and you're going to see it repeated often. I will praise the Lord. You know, I will. That's a volitional thing, right? It means I am making the choice. I Maybe sometimes I feel like it. Maybe sometimes I don't. Does that seem a little bit, um, if we do something when we don't feel like doing it, does that seem like there's false motives? No. It could. But 
I've shared this before, but I think it's coming to my memory, so I'm going to share it again. I remember taking a class up at Trinity Bible College. It was a master's class, and it was only like, there was like four or five people in the class. And the professor, um, I, I only met him that week, and, but he had us come in there. You know, there's just like four or five of us. We didn't have a worship team. We didn't have some of the nice things. And he goes, he, he wanted us to begin to praise the Lord. And I was tired. You know, it was 8 o'clock in the morning. I'd been up late reading and stuff like that. And I was just kind of maybe hadn't had my early morning coffee yet. And he goes, you know, I want you to just worship the Lord. And it, it didn't feel like it. Okay. But as we did, the presence of God came into that place. And I sensed his presence. Amen? There's something about when we make that choice to praise and worship him, the emotions follow. In fact, if you trust your emotions, you're not going to be in a good place because our emotions can be all over the map. There's times we, especially as a mature Christian, we have to get to that place where we, we do things because we know that it is right and it's going to prosper us and bless us. And worship is one of those things. Let's look at Psalms 34, 1 through 8. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times, morning, evening, night, noonday. I'll constantly speak his praises. I'll boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come and let us tell of his greatness, the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Wow. Look at that. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened, and he saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard, and he surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. You see how that psalmist, I will praise the Lord. I will exalt his name, and I'll praise him at all times. We see that in the life of Paul. And I don't know where he learned it. At some point in his life, God developed that discipline and that practice in his life that he praised the Lord. And with that, he could go through some very difficult times and still have the joy of the Lord in his heart. And Paul writes this to the Philippian believers in Philippians 4.4. 4. So now he's writing to these same believers in a letter and chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. So rejoice is that idea of praise, but also that idea of rejoicing in the joy of the Lord. We praise Him. Why? Because it is a product of our praise and worship. We find that joy. So, here's another question for you. So why do I need joy? Why can't I just be a grumpy Christian? All right? I'm just playing the devil's advocate here this morning. And, uh, well, do I have to be happy all the time? Can I be grumpy? Can I be sad? Can I be depressed? Right? Why do I need to be happy? Why do I need to have the joy of the Lord in my heart? Well, one, nobody will want to be around you. <laughs> but more importantly, this is number three. Joy gives us strength for the journey. Joy gives you strength for the journey. As Paul and Silas worshipped God, they were filled with joy and had a strength 
to serve the Lord gladly even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So they would leave Philippi and they don't go home, right? They go on to the next town and to the next town. They would go to Thyatira. They would go Thessalonica, not Thyatira. They go Thessalonica and they would go to, um, what are some of the others? Uh, the Berea, they would go. And then eventually they get down to Athens and Corinth and then they go back to Ephesus. Some places they would have to leave in the middle of the night. They would have to flee for their lives. But they were able to do it with joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord was their strength. The joy that they experienced from God gave them the courage that they needed to move ahead with life. When you're sad and discouraged, you lack the courage and the strength to move ahead. Trust me, I've been there. If you are discouraged, if you're depressed, you, you don't even want to get up in the morning. You don't want to go forward. But when the joy of the Lord is there, it's going to give you the strength. It's going to give you the energy to go ahead, to do what God's called you to do and do what you need to do, right? If there's joy in your life, especially in the difficult times, you're going to plow through those in his joy. Nehemiah chapter 8, so you go in Old Testament there, verse 10. And so we, we've talked about this before if you've been at Radiant Springs. But Israel... In 722 and 586 were two key dates in Old Testament history. Um, 722, Assyria comes down, takes the northern ten tribes, takes them into captivity. 586 is when Nebuchadnezzar would come in, takes Jerusalem and Judah, that part of Judah, takes them captive. Seventy years they would be in Babylon. So that's when you have, um, uh, that's leading right up to when Jeremiah and Isaiah were prophets. And so they come back after the 70 years, but they don't come back to the way things used to be. They come back to desolation. The walls have been knocked down. Their homes have been destroyed. Um, the temple has been laid to nothing. All right? It wasn't anything like they used to, and so God would use Zerubbabel to build the temple. Nehemiah would build up the walls, and um, Ezra would minister to the people. But it, in Nehemiah 8... They read, Ezra reads the word of God to them. And we, we take that so for granted, don't we? Why? We, we have it on here. How many copies of God's word do you have in your home? Right? They didn't have that luxury. Okay? Because it was on scrolls, which were very expensive. So most people did not have even a portion of God's word on there. And up to that point, you mainly had the first five books of the Bible, maybe some of the Psalms. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that was the book of the law, those five books. But most of them hadn't read it because they didn't have access to the temple. The temple had been destroyed, and so anything that they heard was maybe by word of mouth that they heard the word of God. And so Ezra opens up the scrolls, and he begins to read to them the book of the law. And you know what their response was? They just began to weep and cry. Because the word of God was just speaking to them. It wasn't so much, there was tears of sorrow, but just tears of renewal. There was tears there, what God was doing in their heart and their life. There was conviction, I believe, and, and God began to work amongst them. And as they, they quit reading the word of God, many of them, is probably they were hearing it for the first time. And Nehemiah says, you know what, this isn't a day to be sad 
But he goes, this is what he says in verse 10. He goes, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Let's have a party, right? Share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. So, you know, if you didn't have much, if you had more than you needed, you're going to share so everybody could join in. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected or sad. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And Nehemiah recognized that there was a lot of rebuilding that had to take place within people's hearts, with the temple, with the walls, with restoration. It had been easy to wake up in the morning and see all the rubble, to see all the stuff that was there and say, man, I'm going to go, I don't know, someplace where it's not like this, right? It had been easy for them to give up. But Nehemiah understood how important the joy was because it's from the joy of the Lord that we have the strength to live for Him and to do it gladly. Joy gives us strength for the journey. And I don't know if that really resonates with any of you today, but that is so important. We can get bogged down in just the work of life, and if we don't have our joy, it can get hard. I'm going to have the musicians come, and I'm going to share a link on, uh, on our Facebook page. I'll share that when I'm done here. Um, and you can maybe look for it on Facebook. But in, anybody Oklahoma fans? I don't want to say that too loud here. but um, Oklahoma softball, okay? But if you know anything about girls, ladies softball, you'll know that Oklahoma just won their, their third national title at the College World Series. It happened just this week. And so they were interviewing them leading up to this. An ESPN reporter was interviewing him. And he asked these young ladies, I think one of them is a Lions, and I think she is from Nebraska, actually. And he asked him, he goes, um, you know, you're coming up to your third national championship. You're playing in it. I think it's best out of three or something. And the reporter asked him, how can you keep your love for the game and compete effectively with all the pressure? Because after winning two national championships, there's a lot of pressure there. People are expecting you to do it, and that sometimes that pressure can really get to you. And you work so hard, you can lose your joy, and you can forget what it's all about, right? And the first lady, she just says very candidly, she says, we find our joy in, in God. He is the one that gives us the joy to do what we're doing. And, and then the other player <laughs> almost says, says the same thing. She goes, yeah, she goes, when I started off here at Oklahoma, um, I let things get to me. And she goes, and uh, during my time here, I, I've, I've, I found Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And she goes, I, we just have a joy that surpasses anything. She goes, whether we win or lose, we have a joy. Our, our joy and happiness is not based upon those things. It's based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the third one, echoes some of those same things. And so then they did win it. And so there was, I saw an ESPN Saturday morning, so, and it happened. They won the four, their third title, so now it's four coming up if they got to deal with the pressure for that number four next year. But they were interviewing the lady that made a key hit. She's one of their top hitters, and she got this key hit, scored two runs, sealed the game. 
again, they asked her, what are, you know, is it possible to do that number four? And she goes, you know, our team plays for something more than just the game. We have a faith. We have a faith in God that is far, it, that's far more important to us than the game of softball. We love softball. We'll give it all we have. But we have a faith. And she goes, there's a strong faith in our team. And she goes, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But she goes, I believe we're capable of it. But there again, she pointed them back to their faith in God. I just thought, you know, um, life is a little bit like that. Sometimes the pressures of life can easily steal our joy, right? Can easily steal our joy. Can easily steal our joy. And that's why those times of praise and worship, I, I like those times when we have the full worship team and or maybe we have praise and worship on in our car. Um, sometimes it's a little bit easier to worship God in those moments. But I've found that some of the most beautiful times happen in my own private worship time, and there's nothing there. I just, me and my voice, um, that God can really can speak to us. Chris, this, you don't have this. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I just feel like God just dropped this into my heart. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that God's all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, that pressure, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Because we always carry around the body of Jesus, the death of Jesus in our bodies, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our lives. And he goes on. Second Corinthians will be one of the latter books that Paul would write along with Second Timothy. But Paul says, Hey man, we feel the pressure. We feel the persecution. We feel the difficulties. But he says it's what's greater is what's in us, the faith, the, the hope that we have, the presence of God. That's greater than anything from outside. So I'm going to have you stand. And so we got a few sports people here. Football, soccer, basketball. Usually you can't crush those balls if they're inflated, right? Right? You know, in a football, they get all sorts of people landing on it, right? But there's pressure. What's on the inside is more important than the pressure that it's facing from the outside, so it keeps inflated. Now, if it really was crushed by a bulldozer or something like that, of course, eventually it gives out, right? But what keeps them buoyant and inflated is what's in the inside. That's the same for you and I. It's the presence of God, the joy of the Lord, that keeps us, our head above water, it keeps us joined, it keeps us, so we're not just surviving, but we're living, we're living for God. Amen? I'm praising God. So we're going to sing that chorus that we sang earlier because uh, we wanted to sing it so it's not new, so now we can't say it's new because we have sung it one time. But... Uh,
would you just allow this to minister to your heart and your life this morning? If you need prayer this morning, we're going to be up front, and we're going to pray for Bob Johnson. He goes in for surgery, and they're going to work on his kidney. We're hoping that they get the cancer out that they need to, and that that's successful. But if you need prayer this morning, uh, do that. But just worship the Lord together here this morning. Some of your most powerful witnessing opportunities um, may happen when you are very much at your weakest moment. One of the greatest stories in the book of Acts, there's several of them, but it happens at Paul and Silas is one of their weakest moments. They're beaten. They've been turned on. They did a great, good deed, right? deliver this woman from demon possession and what do they get rewarded with? Thrown in jail, beaten, harm. But because the joy of the Lord was in their heart and in their life, it became one of the greatest witnessing opportunities that they had. If they would have been there moping and all upset, nothing probably would have happened. But because there was the joy of the Lord in their heart, it became a great opportunity. And the same may be true for you. Where God may choose you to use you, the greatest is maybe at a very low point in your life. Maybe something really bad has just happened. But there's still that joy there. And that's when the world on the outside, they look and say, man, that was me, I'd be pretty devastated. I'd be angry at the world. I'd be depressed. But they have a joy. They have a hope that I can't explain. See, then that opens up the door. It's like, you know, it's the lob. And you just get to smack it out of the park, right? Because then they come to you and say, what must I do to be saved? As the jailer did. Paul didn't have to preach. They just said, hey, what must I do to be saved? Father, I pray that as we go into this world this week, we leave here today, Lord God, you've placed your hope, your treasure within us, the presence of God. And Lord God, I don't know where each of us is at. Maybe we're, we're striving for that joy. And God, I don't feel like you, you don't call us to be false or, or that we're, we have this false joy, Lord God. I pray that that as we enter into you, and I know there's, there, there's times that it can be dry, Lord God, but God, as your people cry out to you, as we reach out to you, God, that your joy will be there and that it gives us the strength for the journey for each and every day that we can live with the joy in our heart and our life, Lord God. Restore to us the joy of the salvation, our salvation, Lord, if we've lost it for whatever reason. There's no guilt here. There's no shame. Oh God, restore our joy. Make us the people you've called us to be. And let us be the light to the world around us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Praise God. Hey, God bless you this morning. Share that joy with each other this morning. Amen. Shake a couple hands.
God bless you this morning.